Maria la finta per Danilo, Danilo! Danilo! 3 a 3! Grandissimo schema della Juventus! Destro di Danilo! Alle spalle di Musso! Siamo di nuovo pari! Hello and welcome to say a Spotlight Season 2 Episode 22 where your host Jake and Matt sat here freezing our asses off. Yeah, I mean guys, if you think it's all glitz and glamour and heat and sunshine in Malta, every January it's fucking freezing. January and February, we get those Mediterranean freezing ass winds and it's hell. But to be honest, December was really hot, sunny and nice, so I don't think we can complain. Yeah, it's not bad. The only problem is that our houses aren't um, built to cater for this type of weather. Um, there's no insulation, you know, everything's made of limestone and, and you know, it, it's fucking cold in here. Quite I, I wish you guys could see Jake right now. He looks ridiculous. So he's got a blanket around him. He's got a hood over his head and a beanie over his hood. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And you look fucking ridiculous, man. Thank you, bro. The last time I saw something similar to this outfit that I've put together was when I was watching the Super Coppa between Milan and Inter in Doha, which ended 3-0, unfortunately, to Inter. Yeah. Um, I thought the seats were empty, but turns out everyone was just dressed how I'm dressed right now, but all in white. <laughs> it is confusing. But what's even more confusing is the way the game turned out, pretty much. Inter yeah. 3, Milan 0. Of course, Milan travelled... A very long distance to make that game, but didn't actually show up. No, pretty much. Um, I don't know what's going on with Milan. We'll discover. We'll discuss that in depth um, when it's time to discuss them. But for now, it's time to address the first of all the goal of the week, yeah. which was the brilliant free kick routine where um, Di Maria laid it off to Danilo, who just smacked it in. Um, Allegri was asked about that. He was like, well, "What was with the old school?" free kick routine over there and he was like football is so complicated nowadays we have to do these strange things to get the advantage the secret Danilo can hit the ball really hard that's what we you know didn't um, Allegri a couple of months ago say that football is really simple you need to put the ball to the back of the net or you need yes. to pass to your teammates or, or something like that he takes pride from being from Livorno and apparently people from Livorno are honest and they always speak honestly but they have what they have a sense of humor so a humorous approach to to certain things they also have a very weird accent yeah that that's definitely the case um, I barely understand Italian but like when he talks, I don't understand anything. It's way harder. It's way harder when he talks. But yeah, that's our intro. That's our goal of the week. That's the Super Coppa. So next up, the yes. best. Our bet. Yes. And we won one, guys. We ended our our losing streak. Um, we bet that um, Roma would win or draw against Spezia and there would be under three goals. Now, come to think of it, that was a pretty safe bet. An, an incredibly, very, very, very safe bet. But odds were one... 197, yeah. I think. We're close, close to doubling our money. Yeah. Just a few cents off. Um, it, it was kind of scary because Roma got the second in like the 60th minute. Mm -hmm. So there was half an hour. We were just hoping against a Roma goal. And this time, this Roma really looked inspired. They wanted to attack. They wanted to move yeah. the ball forward. Tammy, obviously, full of confidence. Dybala, full of confidence. So, yeah, we were a bit scared. But here we go, guys. Hopefully, this is the start of, I don't know, a plane ticket. And let's go, man. Let's go. 
don't forget to follow us guys uh instagram tiktok twitter at seria spotlight you can see our snippets you can engage with us and give us a rating wherever you're listening you could be honest or you could just be really nice and give us five stars wherever where you get your podcasts especially google play apple podcasts and spotify very good um I'm going to do the weekly rundown this week, bro. I'm going to take it upon myself and attempt the challenge, okay? Okay. Okay, let's go, bro. So Lazio spanked Milan 4-0, Juventus 3, Atalanta 3 in the game of the week. Salernitana rehired Nicola and lost 2-0 to Napoli. Inter were embarrassed by Empoli 1-0. Roma got the job done yet again against Spezia away from home 2-0. Sampdoria continued to play well. And lose against Udinese this time 1-0. Fiorentina continue to disappoint as they lost to Torino 1-0. Bologna and Cremonese shared the spoils at 1-1. Cremonese almost getting their first victory over there. Monza and Sassuolo ended the hard-fought battle 1-1. And Verona beat Lecce 2-0 to continue their escape from the relegation zone. Not bad, huh, bro? Thanks, man. Not bad. Not as good as you do it, not as well as you do it, but... Um, Okay. I'm just good at improv. That's all I've got, man. I'm not a smart guy. That's just your improv. only skill. Man, <laughs> I can just spit bars. <laughs> That's pretty much it. The but gift of the gab. The gift of the gab, baby. There's so much to uncover, bro. I mean, even just those first... The first four fixtures. So you look at Lazio Milan, which is obviously headlines in itself. Juve Atalanta, same. Six goals, and they, and they shared them. Um, Salernitana Napoli it being a derby and Salernitana bringing back Nicola um, Napoli 1-2-0 and then the internal Empoli 1 just so much to uncover we're just saying last week how things are starting to take shape and now it's like no yeah things aren't starting to take shape things like, are crumbling <laughs> things are fucking crumbling some teams were second and now they're fighting for a top 4 you know what I mean some teams like Verona are on a fucking hot streak now, man. Yeah, and they really are. We predicted that time when the World Cup ended. We did, bro. We predict a lot of things. Yes, we do, except for our bets. That's the only thing we can't say. <laughs> yeah, we put our money where our mouth is, we lose. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Shall we kick things off and get the first game over and done with, brother? What do you think? Let's do it, bro. All right. So the first game we're going to be covering, guys, is Lazio 4, Milan nil. Although a lot of people would have predicted a Lazio victory over here considering Milan's form, I think it's safe to say that this was quite quite a shocking result. Four goals to nil in favour of Lazio. So Lazio lined up in their 4-3-3 formation with Provedel in goal on the back line of Marusic, Cazale, Romagnoli and Hisai. A midfield three of Alberto Cataldi and Milinkovic Savic. Zaccani out on the left, Pedro out on the right and Anderson up front. For Milan... It was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Tata in goal, a backline of Calabria, Calulu, Tomori and Dest. Double pivot of Benasser and Tonali. Out on the right was Messias. Out on the left was Leao. Behind the striker was Brahim Diaz and up front was Olivier Giroud. So, things started off very early in this game. It was in the fourth minute that Sergei Milinkovic-Savic opened the scoring. Zakani played the ball into the box and both Luis Alberto and Philippe Anderson led the ball round to Sergei, who finished into the bottom corner. A spectacular move there by Lazio. Milan's press was on point, but they just moved the ball around swiftly and brilliantly. And just that, that double melee by Alberto and Anderson was just gorgeous. And obviously, who else but Sergei to finish things off when Immobile isn't around? 
In the 38th minute, Zakanyi scored. The Italian finished into an empty net after Marisic struck the post and Tata was grounded. Half-time came. Milan came out in the second half. Looked a little bit better. Made a triple sub. Brought on, you know, the usual suspects. However, in the 66th minute, a penalty was awarded to Lazio after Kalulu brought down Pedro in the penalty area after some sloppy play by Milan at the back. Um, Luis Alberto stepped up to take the penalty and the Spaniard went down the middle with a powerful strike, sending Tata the wrong way. 3-0 to Lazio. In the 75th minute, Felipe Anderson made it 4-0. The Brazilian finished cleanly after an intelligent and sneaky through ball by Luis Alberto. And then in the 81st minute, Jake turned to me and said, Bro, why the fuck are we still watching this? A question I have yet to answer. Obviously, bro, very disappointing result for Milan, an incredible result for Lazio and all the Laziali out there. What did you make of this game overall? So Lazio clearly came out with a vendetta, right? A point to prove against Milan as they were winless in their last three head-to-heads against Milan. Milan came in with a point to prove as they were they had a winless run of four. They had recently been knocked out of the Coppa. They had lost 3-0 to Inter in the Super Coppa, and this was the time for a reaction. And Milan did not react well at all. They conceded in the fourth minute. That's all it took. And the disaster continued from there. At halftime, bro, I don't know if you remember, but I told you, I was quite optimistic, no? I told yeah. you that um, they, Lazio came out fielding their best players. Like you look at Lazio's starting 11, they had a mobile out. They played all their offensive outlets from the get-go. Yeah. Savage, Alberto, Pedro, Anderson, Zaccani were all on the pitch, mm. right? So offensively, that leaves maybe what country Leary and the uh, seventeen-year-old Romero. Yeah. Um, so I told Matthew, I'm like Matt, we Milan have depth, you know. Um, Milan can grow into this game. All it takes is maybe a late goal in the f- second half. No, that, this was one a late goal in the first half. Yeah. Sorry, two-one, and then there's all to play for. Or an early goal in the second half, and then Milan are back in it. Can go for the draw, mm. potentially even the victory. That did not happen in the slightest. No. Um, of course. The triple whammy that you're talking about in the 58th minute, Salamakers coming on, Origi and De Ketelare. Origi and De Ketelare have not hit the ground running. They're not the people who are going to change the game for you. You know, 67th minute, boom, 3-0, nail in the coffin, Milan are dead. Um, I think personally, bro, this point in the season is really highlighting Milan's failed summer mercato, quite frankly. No, 100%, man, 100%. When a team wins a Scudetto, one of the most important things is to improve your side because all eyes are on you. Yeah. And it's very difficult to, obviously, barring Juve, it's very difficult to win uh, two Scudettos, two Scudetti in a row because you get figured out, people get used to you, people have studied you for an entire summer, essentially. And you go in with... I would say I wouldn't even say virtually the same team because Milan lost Kessie, they lost Romagnoli, um, uh, those are the ones that were lost, right? Yeah, I mean, so as you said, Romagnoli and Kessie left and were not replaced. Yeah, um, Theo Hernandez's deputy remains void, right? That's a, that's something that has needed addressing for a while. Yeah, the right winger has needed addressing for a while. A striker, you know, when Origi was brought in, everyone was like, okay, he can't take rotate with mm-hmm. you. That was unlucky, the fact yeah. that he, he has, he's been injured. The Ketelara was an investment for the future, sure, but people did think that he was going to do better. And if, uh, in fact, his first two or three games were way better than what we've seen recently. His confidence has really plummeted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at the starting 11 overall, it's weaker than it was last season. But in reality, you know, you look at this team and you look at Lazio's team on paper, this team, this Milan team should be putting up a fight. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm starting to have my doubts about the effectiveness of the 4-2-3-1 formation without Kessie in the double pivot. Now, mm. this formation was amazing with Kessie in the double pivot because Kessie does the work of two men. Yeah. Therefore, you know, essentially having a Trequartista, you're not missing out on anything in the midfield because you have this guy who's everywhere, who's out-muscling everyone, who's, who's getting all the hard work done, who's doing all the dirty work. Mm-hmm. Not to shit on Tonali or Benacer, but they have different traits to Kessie. Kessie's a very unique player. Mm. I'm finding it difficult to justify playing this 4-2-3-1 formation with Brahim Diaz in the pocket and the CDK as the only alternative when, to be honest, they, they've been quite ineffective. Milan played, uh, I, I mentioned this recently, Milan played a 4-3-2-1 against Juve and they played it against another team, I forgot who it was, and, and I can't stress on how well that worked. Yeah. Um, it was Pobega that, that took that additional space in the midfield three, and it was Brahim who played out on the right, where he looked really, really good, especially drifting centrally. Yeah. Um, obviously, Leao on the left and Giroud up top. I really liked that, and I think that should be utilised on a case-by-case basis. Um, I agree with you that the 4-2-3-1 isn't effective as it was when there was Kessie in the pitch, but we've seen it work. We've seen Milan dominate some big teams with uh, Tonali and Benacer in the team, even last season when Kessie was either playing an attacking midfield role or he was benched. So I wouldn't say that it's totally ineffective, but you play against a team like Lazio who are known for their midfield, especially when um, Sergei and Luis Alberto are playing together and you're going to be pressed to oblivion in the midfield, then maybe that's one of the times where, yeah, you should play a three in the midfield rather than a two in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Brahim tracking back. He's definitely improved in tracking back. He's put some mass on, he's put some muscle on, he can't win the ball back, but still in comparison to your average player, he's very, very weak in that department. Mm-hmm. And he's going to need to get a lot more involved if Milan are going to be playing Benacer and Tonali in that double pivot. So there are a lot of things to focus on for Milan for uh, for improvement. It seems like Pioli is more interested in trying out the 3-5-2 formation rather than the 4-3-2-1 formation. Um, was it the 3-5-2 or was it the 3-4-3? Um, I believe it was a... Three, four, three, four, three, or like a three, four, two, something, a three at the back, yeah, and then the rest kind of do their own thing. But that's going to become even more difficult, bro, because Tomori has suffered a muscle injury, so that leaves the only options being Kier, Gabia, Kalulu, and yeah, who else? That's it. it. No, that's all. That's all. And obviously, Kalulu hasn't been having the the best time ever. Gave away a penalty in this game. It seems like the right side of Milan's defense with Calabria included. I mean, guys, go look up the goals. They all came from Milan's right side. They all came from Zaccani's side and Calabria's side. Calabria, as experienced a defender he is and as good as he is when he it, when he has a lot of minutes to his name and he isn't just returning from an injury and a long layoff, it seems like he doesn't put any pressure on the man in front of him and the cross always goes in, man. A cross always goes in. He never stops the fucking cross. He does have a tendency of being beaten on the right side. He does get dribbled quite quite often. Um, yeah, and, and his defending and his prime at his peak when he's at his best is one of his strongest points. Yes. Standing tackles and all that. 
But it, it is a bit depressing. And, you know, seeing, looking at Dest and Calabria this game, they were isolated the entire time. You know, Leao and Messias provided no balance. You know, I, I much prefer when, when Salamakers plays when Leao's playing simply because of his defensive contribution. Agreed. But, you know, it's so easy in hindsight to point these things out. You know, I, I mean, essentially, this, this has to be mainly a confidence issue, not yes. a systematic one, because yeah, we've exactly. seen this team even with Tata, even with, I don't know, Dest or Balo, for example, even with Messias and the team, we've seen this team do some spectacular things. So it has to be the run of form. It has to be something going on in the in the locker room. It's the players' confidence. It's, it's the shit run of form that Milan are going through. Yeah. And Lazio, on the other hand, they're fighting back. They've been a bit on and off. They were super to start with. They fell off it a little bit. But now, bro, this performance, because we're talking here, we're sitting here talking as if Milan were terrible, which they were. But Lazio, it's no joke. They were on fucking fire, man. They were the best fucking fire. Performances of the Sarri era for Lazio. 100%. 100%. It was so complete. Everything worked perfectly. Even even the the chemistry between the players, you can tell it's finally clicking. Like, Mm. Philip Anderson <laughs> and before the start of the game bro I told you Philip Anderson is shit enough to score against <laughs> and he didn't only score he played a brilliant brilliant mm. game he was so smart in that false nine position um, yeah and I also want to highlight bro so yes power to Lazio very good performance amazing Milan bad um, <laughs> Lazio had five shots on target so yeah. Lazio had 10 shots, Milan had 10 shots. Lazio had five shots on target, Milan had three shots on target. You would never think that those stats would lead to a to a 4 nil thumping, you know what I mean? No. Like, there's obviously something wrong at the back over there. And, you know, you look at Tata Rosano, who's so passive when it comes to leaving his line, who's such... And he's so weak when it comes to his character as a goalkeeper like it's, he's not he doesn't command his area no it, the, the defenders seem to be so skeptical of him everyone constantly shouting at him and it's a bit of a disaster at the back yeah. right now for Milan so there's two points to be made with what you just said so number one is Milan defensively so obviously Milan defensively we've already spoken about Calabria out on the right maybe Calulo not being on the best of form one massive factor is obviously Tatarasano in goal and it's not only because of his lack of shot-stopping abilities, but it's because he fails to guide that back four. And he fails to take initiative when the back four aren't uh, aren't present. So, for example, in the sequence that led to Pedro winning the penalty. So, Kier gives the ball away because, I believe it was, Salamakers was on the back foot. I didn't receive the ball and it was intercepted. With one pass, it was played not down the wing, kind of kind of centrally towards the wing, essentially. Tata could have come out and dealt with that had he made up his mind in the first split second. But because he operates the way he operates, he kind of thought about it, went back, thought about it again. Then by the time he was thinking about it again, Philip Anderson was fucking there. Like. Yeah. And for that reason Philip Anderson had all the time in the world to play the ball into the box and Kalulu had no other option than to murk Pedro and give away the penalty so that was Tatarasanu's fault in the second goal where Marusic shot and the ball hit the post fell to um, uh, who was it that finished Zakani fell to Zakani and Zakani finished the ball went through Tatarasanu 
Tatarusano could have blocked that. You look at the replay and you slow it down. It's ridiculous how the ball went underneath Tatarusano. So that's another mistake by Tatarusano. None of them are obvious errors, but they do not happen when Mike Manian is on the pitch. Yeah. The second point to be made is Milan going forward. The lack of threat, even with Leao on the pitch, is ridiculous. Milan did not have a sniff at Lazio's goal in this match. Is it because Lazio are so good defensively? Because they are. Or is it because Milan lack ideas and that's what led to Milan failing to score against Torino? And Milan failing to score against Lazio? And Milan failing to score against Inter? Yeah, it's an offensive plan that simply isn't isn't working at the moment. The best um, maneuvers Milan had offensively this game came through Junior Messias every time. Junior yeah. Messias beating Hisai. That's it. And to be honest, I really thought that that Leao was going to have a field day against Marisic, but of course he he was he wasn't at the races. And Chassal and Romagnoli again, power to them. Very good centre back duo. Yeah, very good centre back duo. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Obviously, there was, um, you mentioned, a knock on Tomori. He has a muscle injury, which is a, pardon my pronunciation, but it's a lesion. Of a, lesion, a little lesion. <laughs> lesion. Hey, lesion. It's a lesion of a rotator muscle on his left hip. So that is a painful and potentially lengthy one. He's probably out for the Milan Derby. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Calabria suffered quite a... A tough knock towards the end of the game, but it's a knock, it's not muscular. Um, he'll have a lot of bruising on his Achilles tendon um, after that, but not, nothing, the, nothing the guy can't recover from, I hope. Yeah, he was in agony towards the end of the game. Poor guy. Before we move on, I'd like to point out um, how amazing the Curva Sud is. The Milan fans are unbelievable. It's in Lazio Stadium at the Olimpico. The scoreboard reads 4 0. You know, and all you can hear are the Milan fans uh, singing, you know, well, you are my first love, or I'll always mm. love you, those romantic lyrics, and they're chanting them, and, and they're singing them so loudly, man, it's echoing through the stadium, and this is when they were losing 4-0, it's, yeah. it's amazing. This After witnessing that, on a weekday, on a Tuesday night, away from home, in Rome, they're there till the very final whistle, Lazio fans, a lot of them weren't even there to the final whistle. Um, at the end, you could only hear the Milan supporters. And just beautiful to see players like the Ketelare, Tatarasanu, Tonali, who didn't have the best performances, all stood in front of the Curva, and the Curva urging them on, singing sweet nothings to them. If that doesn't fill you with adrenaline, I don't know what will. No, f- fans like the, the Real Madrid fans that throw you under the bus for one bad performance. <laughs> they, they fucking ruin you. But that is the, the fan base that we identify with and that's the type of fan base that should be encouraged in football. Yeah. But yes, Milan are in second with 38 points. As Matthew said, they have gone from a title race, allegedly, even though that was quite a stretch already, he was quite optimistic to fighting it out in the top four as Lazio are in third on 37 points, Inter are in fourth on 37 points, Roma are in fifth on 37 points, Atalanta are in sixth on 35 points. What a league. All those guys are going to be battling it out for Champions League. What a league. The next game we're going to be covering is Juventus 3, Atalanta 3. Mamma mia, che partita. The game of the week, huh? Yeah. So, of course... 
um, before we get into the, uh, the lineups, we should address that Juventus have been docked 15 points due to financial irregularities and the whole capital gains investigation. Yes, I guess that's what you get when you um, value the likes of Portanova, who's currently in prison for 20 million, Emil Audero, who no one had heard of, he hadn't even played a single game back then, 20 million, Sturaro to Genoa for 20 million, Danilo and the swap deal involved for Cancelo. Um, granted, that actually worked out quite well because Danilo's been quite a yeah. The whole Arthur and Kianich drama, you know, so many weird, weird, weird signings. I mean, yeah. to to me, it's it's obvious money laundering. Yeah, <laughs> it's obvious money laundering. It's just there was that clause initially, obviously, that a player's price tag is subjective. Yes, and the supply against demand. But yeah, this has been um, finally addressed and Juve have been penalized and um, you can't help but feel bad for the players you know because of course this is an off the field issue and Allegri did say that he feels like um, all their hard work has been randomly taken from them mm-hmm. but yeah these are problems from the top and of course um, they knew that these were irregularities as the entire board fucking resigned and that's not something that happens every day yeah. you know an entire board of directors design, resigns designed the last time we saw that happen was with Labour. <laughs> yes, that's the last time. <laughs> There's a power cut and everyone just starts stepping down. Like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Suddenly there's no electricity. <laughs> Conrad Mitzi has resigned. Schubert <laughs> has resigned. Chris Cardona has resigned. Uh, Maltese politics. Mm. But anyway, you've uh, lined up with a 3 5 one one formation with Chesney in goal, the centre-back trio of Sandro, Bremer and Danilo with Kostic on the left, McKenny on the right, Rabiolo, Catelli and Fagioli in the middle with the amazing Di Maria playing behind Milik. Atalanta lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Musso on goal, Toloi, Palomino and Scalvini at the back with Hatteber on the right, Mele on the left, Derun and Anderson in the middle. Ederson. Ederson, sorry, not Anderson. <laughs> My God, I'm still drifting. Lookman and Boga playing behind Hoyland, the budget, Haaland. Budget, not quite. Uh, but anyway, in the fifth minute, um, Lookman tried his luck from a rather tight angle and Chesney failed to keep it out of his near post despite getting two hands on it, um, giving Atalanta the lead. In the fifth minute through a very, very rare mistake from the veteran goalkeeper, Wojtek Szczesny. A very rare mistake this season because we have seen him be quite quite uh, mistake error prone in the past. It's true, fair enough. In the 25th minute, Di Maria scored a penalty after the referee turned to VAR to review an incident in the Atalanta area. He found Ederson guilty of a foul on Fagioli, who collided with Di Maria. Di Maria scored the penalty by sending Musso the wrong way, 1-1. In the 34th minute, Fagioli crossed the ball brilliantly from out wide and found the oncoming Milik, who finished cleanly on the bounce, giving Juve the lead 2-1. In the 46th minute, there was a brilliant passage of play to start. Um, This was at the beginning of the second half. Danilo gave the ball away to Scalvini at the restart. The ball was then played through to Lukman, who took a touch and played Mele through, who found the back of the net cleanly 2-2. In the 53rd minute, it was Atalanta's turn. Boga held the ball well out wide and provided a brilliant cross to the unmarked Lookman who headed in well, leaving Chesney rooted to the spot and now the score is 
In the 65th minute, that's when our goal of the week took place, Di Maria fainted a free kick and lead it off to Danilo, who fired a rocket into the bottom corner. And that tied everything up at 3-3. What a game, bro. A very good game, man. It's not often that you see two comebacks in one game, or three comebacks, rather. You know, Atalanta opened the scoring, Juve equalize and then go ahead, and then Atalanta equalize and then go ahead, and then Juve pull one back and make it 3-3 in the 65th. A very, very exciting and even affair between these two teams. It's like every team that was ahead, I was like, of course this team is ahead, of course Juve are ahead. I'm like, ah, no, of course Atalanta are ahead. But a very, very even game, man, two very talented teams. Juve returning well, after that, obviously, incident that docked them 15 points. They looked full of confidence. They looked full of fire. They looked full of fight. And I think we're still going to see the same old Juve, except maybe their defense is a bit leakier after the Napoli game. Yeah, um, that's an interesting point, bro. They went eight games without conceding a single goal. Mm-hmm. And now in two games, they've conceded, what, eight? Yeah, eight goals. Eight goals, exactly, in two games. Wow. So something has completely shifted over there. And now the fact that, you know, Allegri plays two makeshift centre-backs in a back three, mm. perhaps that was exposed against these very fast-paced, you know, tough opponents. That's it. Because you've, uh, against most opponents, they have the ability to hang on the ball themselves. But once they catch themselves with too much defending to do, then that's the only opportunity they have to get exposed. And against Napoli, obviously they got more than Napoli love having the ball and with their quick passages of play and, and all their link-ups, so on and so forth. Atalanta love hanging on to the ball and they've kind of rediscovered that pace that they were lacking earlier on with the wings with, with Lukman, Boga, so on and so forth. So the second Juve need to defend, that's when they suck at defending. Otherwise, when they're hanging on to the ball, then their defense is great, man. Fair enough. Um, and, and they did need to, not only did they need to defend this game, they also needed to attack, which left them quite exposed. Um, yeah. The fact that Atalanta constantly kept pressing at them, you know, constantly taking the lead. You've had to keep coming back and back and back. That did open them up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I want to highlight, bro, Adamola Lukman. Mm. Adamola Lukman is on 11 goals and three assists this season. He's the second top scorer in the league. Ozyman is first with 13 goals and three assists. Mm. Ozyman's on... A goal every 96 minutes. Lukman is on a goal every 99 minutes. Um, what a signing, bro. Completely under the radar, this Lukman signing. Everyone talking about Gvaratskelia, who, amazing. He's amazing. He's on seven goals, seven assists, you know. Amazing for a winger. But Lukman's numbers are insane. Yeah, yeah. And and, and especially, like, you could you could regard him as one of the best signings. or Definitely one of the best signings in the summer window. I wouldn't say he's number one because of Gvaradon and because of what he's done and how magical he looks. But let me tell you what, bro, it is very close between Gvara and Lukman for yeah. that number one spot. Lukman has been incredible. And it's not like he's just getting goals against the bottom tier teams, but two goals and one assist in a 3-3 draw at the Allianz against Juve. That is massive. He contributed to every single one of their goals. Yes, bro. And he netted two of them. That's unbelievable. And, and you look back at him in the Prem, he was considered a flop. He comes here, man. He comes to our league and his talent is shining and he's himself. He's confident and wow, what a signing, man. Totally transformed this Atalanta team. He really has. And if you look at his um, shooting stats as well, they're way better than everyone else around him. Even better than Ozzy, even better than Lautaro and Zola Leo. He destroys all these guys with the stats. Really. His goal conversion rate is 50%, which means he scores 
every other shot. And the shot accuracy is 73%. <laughs> to put that into perspective, Lautaro's shot accuracy is 44%. Oziman, 53%. You know, conversion rate, Oziman, 28%. Lukman, 50%. Varatskelia, 23%. Dybala, 29%. It's crazy, dude. Leao, 22%. You know, that's fucking mad, man. That's fucking mad. The guy is accurate and he chooses his moments. Um, another player, the protagonist on the other, uh, on the opposing team, was, of course, Di Maria. Now, Di Maria, we have to um, enjoy him while he's still at Juve because... While he's still fit as well. Yeah, while he's still fit as well. Because I highly, 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 highly doubt he will be there next season. He's kind of a, one of those one of those players you now that comes for one year and that's mm. it. at that point mm. in his career now. He's old, you know, there's a lot of turmoil in the club. I highly doubt he'll stay. Mm-hmm. Um, what a fucking performance. This guy's a big game player by definition. Yeah, I think I think that Di Maria is still one of the best players in the world at this moment in time. I don't think there's any reason to think that he's not. Maybe the injuries that keep him out of the game for lengthy periods every now and then. But when he's on the pitch and when he's put on the big stage, there are few players I would rather want on my team than Di Maria. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And, you know, the fact that he has played three finals in a row and um, scored in all three of them. Yeah. Just goes to show the mentality on this skinny alien looking fella. <laughs> and, and as well down the middle, bro. He's so good down the wing. He's so good down the middle. He's versatile, man. He's intelligent. Yeah. His passing is... He, he's so sneaky with his passing. Those no-look passes and those hidden passes are gorgeous. The way he... It, he angles himself as though he's going to the left. The entire defense shifts to that area, and then he plays someone in on the right. He's so good at that man down the middle. And as much as Milik has been great, because he has been fucking phenomenal Milik for Juve, I can't wait to see Vlaovic up front with Di Maria just behind him, Chiesa on one side, Kostic on the other. It's going to be exciting, man. Totally, bro. Um, Juve. Currently sitting 10th, bro. They have 23 points. They asked Allegri, yo, what the fuck's going on? Are you going to make Champions League? And he said, and this is a quote, I don't know if we can do it. I think at 71 points, we'll probably get into the Champions League. It's tough, but we have Serie A, the Coppa Italia, and the Europa League. So we take it one step at a time. It's impossible to think that far into the future. He is right, because tides can turn very quickly in, in football. You know, In fact, um, I wouldn't even confidently put money on Napoli winning the league at this point. You never mm. know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with all these lawyers on, on the case and all yeah. the investigations going on. But um, yes, bro, do you think right now as it stands, Juve can make Champions League? Right now, I don't think so. Right now, you look at the teams that are ahead of Juve that are picking up the pace. So we look at the Lazios, the Romas, the Atalantas. Let's not talk about the Milan teams for now for obvious reasons. Um, and I don't see them dropping that many points that will allow Juve back in. Juve will do everything right, man, and they'll get fucking close, but I don't think these teams drive and their passion would allow them to drop so many points, I think. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds? Okay, so Napoli, we can guarantee no Champions League. Let's let's say that Napoli have qualified in the Champions League, even though obviously in football you can never make these assumptions, but we're going to do it anyway. So that leaves Milan, Lazio, Inter, Roma, Atalanta. That's five teams and top four. I highly doubt 
that two of these guys, three of these guys need to slip up for you to slip in there. Mm-hmm. I highly doubt the three of them are going to Bro, there's up. Milan, Lazio, Inter, Roma, Atalanta. Yeah, like this is, of course, it's Atalanta with Gasperini playing without pressure once a week, you know, doing doing bits. You have Roma under Mourinho once again doing bits, winning games so much really. You have Inter and Milan who are Inter and Milan despite the fact that they're they're going a terrible run of Yeah, they fit a rough patch right now, but they're still so far ahead of Juve as it stands. Lazio are the ones that I think can dip, but even them, they have they're deep into a Sarri philosophy now. They're, they're approaching what, year three of Sarri, year two of year three, year two, right? Year two, year two, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Last season was their first season. Year first two season. of Sarri, so good things to come for them as well. Mm-hmm. Very difficult for you as it stands. Um, European spots are not impossible, as I believe they're only five points away from a Conference League spot as it stands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. Game by game, as Allegri said. Yeah, they would have been um, on 38 points right now. One second, had they not been docked 15. So very unfortunate for them. They'd be on 40 if they hadn't been robbed against Salernitana as well. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> true. And obviously, we, we haven't addressed the Napoli situation yet. And the potential ah, yes. docking so, of points over there. But I, I said maybe we'll get into it when we cover Napoli. But we might as well, to be honest. Yeah. I and mean, it's as simple as um, during the Victor Oziman operation, um, 20 million of those funds were made up of three youth players and one veteran goal- goalkeeper who didn't have much experience. And these guys were valued at 20 million, right? Which... Um, now, these guys went to Lille, apparently. They interviewed these youths that went the opposite direction, and they said that they have never stepped foot in Lille, and that um, Napoli ruined their careers. You look at where they are right now, these guys, one of them plays in Serie A, the other one's unemployed, the other one plays in Serie A. So, there was a little bit of the same thing there, no involved in the Aussie Men deal. So, we'll see what happens over there. Inter are also a little bit nervous, but their cases aren't as obvious because the players have since established themselves quite quite well in my opinion you know there are the likes of Mbaye there was um, Pinamonti Puskas Adorante Van Hoitzen Burgio Merola these are all basically names like who 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 and it's bang 3 million 5 million 2 million 2 million 5 million you know what I mean uh-huh. so these things will obviously be investigated apparently according to the the um, body that's taking care of all this um Eight teams remain to be investigated, so we'll see what the fuck happens. Wow. Maybe everyone gets docked points, and yeah. the top four battle becomes a relegation battle. <laughs> <laughs> potentially, potentially. But that's a good segue on to our next match. But before that, Atalanta are in sixth on 35 points, and Juve are in tenth on 23 points. But the next game we're going to be covering is Salernitana nil. Napoli too. So before we get into this, obviously, last episode we spoke about Salernitana wrongfully sacking Davide Nicola because of their 8-2 loss yeah. to um, Atalanta. Um, I would say it was absurd and, and that they should have never gotten rid of him and that he's a miracle maker at Salernitana. A couple of days later, they re-signed him after he had a meeting with the board. So it turns out Serie spotlight was yeah. right again. Um, but Salernitana nil Napoli 2 Salernitana lined up in a 4-5-1 formation with Ocho on goal and the back line of Bradaric, Pirola, Gjomber and Danilovic. Dia was out on the left, Kandreva out on the right and the midfield three of Vilena, Cavalia and Kulibali with Piontek up front as the lone striker. 
Napoli lined up in their 4-3-3 formation with Meret in goal, a backline of Di Lorenzo, Rahmani, Minjay and Rui. Anguissa, Lobotka and Zielinski in the midfield with Lozano, Ossiman and Elmas up front. So in the, 30, in the 33rd minute, Di Lorenzo lobbed the ball through to Ossiman with a wonderful touch and Ossiman smashed the ball to the near post, but the Nigerian was marginally offside, so therefore the goal was cancelled. In the 47th minute, still in the first half, Di Lorenzo scored Anguissa played a lovely one-two with Mario Rui before playing the ball low from the byline to Di Lorenzo who smashed the ball in off the crossbar to make it 1-0. At the start of the second half in the 48th minute, Ossiman scored Elmas's long-ranged curling effort hit the post and landed to Ossiman who rebounded the ball into the back of the net, making it 2-0. In the 58th minute, Ochoa got down well to deny an Ossiman header with a very strong hand and in the 82nd minute, Piontek was clean through on goal after a defensive error by Napoli, but Meret once again provided the heroics, pushing the hard shot onto the post. What an improvement there by Meret. So, yep, this was uh, obviously a, a campagna derby between Salernitana and Napoli. Napoli pretty much dominated over here. The possession was 75-25. to 25. The shots were 9-5, to five, just like us, bro. Just like us, bro. 9-5 to five every day, baby, the grind. <laughs> and shots on goal was 4 for Napoli and 2 for Salernitana. However, Salernitana never look bad when they play Napoli, huh? They never look bad. They, they do play up to the occasion. And in fact, they don't often look bad, Salernitana, in general, under, under Nicola, apart from that freak game that, um, you know, Ler, Lervolino, the, the president, by the way, that's a hilarious name, Lervolino. <laughs> Danilo Lervolino. Like, come on, there's no way that's your name, Danilo Lervolino. But he called him, sacked him. Apparently, Nicola called him back after he had been on the phone. Um, Lervolino had called Rafa Benitez, right? Um, asking him, like, can you come and coach my team? Hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious, the people that they call him. Like, He's like, can you come coach my team? Please, Salerno is really nice. He's like, Go, Google it quickly, Google it, Google it, look at the view. And he's like, no, man, I'm old. <laughs> I'm done, Matt. I have to learn Italian. Like, fuck that. You know, I served um, Rafa Benitez's wife room service at Glen Eagles. Nice. So, was he there? He wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah. No. I believe he was managing Newcastle. No. So, that was the season 2016. 2016, 2017, I believe that was the season that he had just gotten sacked from Real. Real replaced him with Zidane and the rest is history. But I think that was the season. So he wasn't there, he was probably in Spain at the time where, you know, being sacked and depressed. And his wife was at the Glen Eagles Hotel and I was serving her some vegan fucking roll in her room and they let me do it because I'm a football fan and no one else in room service was a football fan because it was me and two girls, so... Was she pleasant? She was very pleasant, very polite, very nice. Cool. Yeah, she put her phone down to speak to me. And I told her I love what her husband did with Liverpool. Little does she know that in 2005, he broke my fucking heart. <laughs> but whatever, man. Yes, guys, so that's my brother, a compulsive liar. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, but he was, of course, his... Um, plan A but apparently after plan A there was no plan B right so they just rehired um, Davide and Nicola and to be honest fair enough, fair enough. yeah yeah but but maybe they should have established that plan before they took action yes definitely definitely 
But yes, bro, um, Napoli proved to be way too much for the Salernitana side as they dominated possession and um, looked like they were going to score from the get-go, to be honest, with 75% possession for Napoli. They had nine shots to Salernitana's five, four shots on target to Salernitana's two shots on target. They scored at the best time possible, both best times possible, to be honest. They got a goal towards the end of the first half and then they got a goal early on in the second half, which was best time to score. They killed the game, boom, they move. Exactly, exactly. It's tough to see Napoli not running away with it. Now they're ahead by 12 points in first place. They have so many outlets. They have so many options in their team. Capocananiere in Victor Osimen. When he's not fit, they've got Raspadori. They've got Simeone out wide. When Gvaradona isn't fit, they've got Elmas. On the other side, when Politano isn't fit, they've got Chucky Lozano. In the midfield, they have abundance of talent as well. So... Yeah, it's it's just tough to see Napoli falling off. I think the only way any other team stands a chance is if that Victor Osimhen signing does really get investigated and there really is a case of, you know, a scandal over there. I think as far as that is concerned, that's the only way that they can dip this season. Salernitana, on the other hand, are in 16th place on 18 points, level on points with Spezia and one point ahead of Sassuolo. Yes, bro, and we're going to move on to the next game. Um, Inter nil, Empoli won. Crazy. Crazy, another crazy game over here. Yeah. Inter lined up with their 3-5-2 formation with Onana and Gol, Bastoni, Devry and Skriniar at the back. Di Marco on the left, Darmian on the right with Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Barella in the middle with Brozovic still injured. The striking partnership this game was Correa and Martinez. For Empoli, it was their 4-3-1-2 formation with Vicario in goal, Ebuehi on the right, Winter and Luperto at the back with Parisi on the left. Akpa Akpro in the middle with Henderson and Bandinelli with Bayrami in the track wide position, Kambiagi and Caputo up front. Now in the 25th minute, um, Skriniar got a yellow card. And Inzaghi was like, alright, there are these memes about me and that I always substitute people when they get a yellow card. I'm not going to do it. Alright, I'm going to show them that I trust my players. 40th minute, Skriniar. Second yellow, red card. <laughs> Kicks Caputo on the head, dude. <laughs> Fucking just after telling his agent to find him a way out of Milan, by the way. Massive tension between Inter and the Skriniar's agent um, as PSG have come in guns blazing for the yeah. Slovak international. And they're, apparently, they've offered a signing bonus of 25 million. So no, just from signing the contract, Skriniar gets 25 million euros. Um, he'll be making over 9 million euros a season over there as well. So that's, wow. that's crazy, okay? Um, this might be the last season we see Skriniar in Italy. Yeah. Um, yes, and then halftime came along. Nzaghi brought on Bellanova for Correa to make up for the missing defender. And then in the 65th minute, in just two minutes after being introduced... Baldanzi scored a goal on a counter, striking the ball low and hard past Anana from just inside the area. In the 71, 71st minute, sorry, Inter had Lukaku, Zerko, and Lautaro all on the pitch. They had three strikers on the pitch. They had two fullbacks. They only had two midfielders operating over there. They desperately tried to get a goal back, but it was all in vain. Bro, I think Inter started this game really lethargically. Empoli looked way sharper. 
the duels, the one-on-ones, they were just beating them in every area of the pitch. What do you think? Uh-huh. So I think initially, um, firstly, I just have to say this probably comes from a bit of a, a biased perspective, but I hate it when teams win something like the Super Cup and they show up to a game with, with this fucking gold font on their kit with with this Arabic text on their kit and they have the trophy on display in the pitch and they're walking out like they're bigger than this game because they just won this fucking Super Coppa trophies. But they went in, I don't know if it was lethargically or overconfident. It seemed like there wasn't any grinta from Inter's game from the get-go. It was almost like, ah, the goal is going to come, the goal is going to come. There was no urgency for it. Empoli, even when the game was 11 v 11, Empoli were very good. They were very active. They were breaking down Inter's play. They were pressing Inter's play and they constantly had 11 men behind the ball. What they did brilliantly, Empoli, is the second Inter got that red card with Skriniar getting the yellow card, second yellow card very stupidly. By the way, it was a ridiculously stupid challenge. Caputo was leading with his head forward. He's like, yep, I'm going to try kick the ball here. My fucking foot might go through Caputo's head, who, by the way, has a massive bandage on his head as if that's not going to be even worse, Like, but whatever. But the second they went a man down, Empoli increased their press so much and they just pressed and attacked and pressed and attacked and Inter just couldn't cope with that. So from then on, as soon as that happened, Inter had the game lost pretty much. Yes, man. Empoli's first victory against Inter since 2006 and their first back-to-back victory since December 2021. Well, um, a very hard-fought battle. Um, I couldn't help but notice that Inter seemed to be missing a technical leader in this team, you know, a reference point. And I feel like that um, was cured, essentially, when Zeko came on. I think Zeko up front is their technical leader. I feel like he brings them confidence. I feel like he is a reference point for them and they can play through him and rely on him to hold up the play, to finish off chances, to to do everything, to be honest. Um, I, I really think that when he came on, they, they looked sharper and they got the majority of their chances towards the end of the game. Um, yeah. Just a statistic here to show you how dominant Empoli were. They were at 51% ball possession. Okay, not dominant, but they had eight shots on target to Inter's one shot on target. Yeah, which is crazy. and you know, Inter did have 16 shots, but the majority of those came when they were trying to find that equalizer. Um, towards the end when they had those three strikers up front as well, man, in, in Lukaku, Lautaro and Zeko. Out of those, Zeko looks decent, to be honest. Lautaro's shooting boots are off, simply so off, and, and he goes through this once a season, mm-hmm. um, sometimes twice a season, but otherwise he's a fantastic striker. Lukaku is, I mean, he still hasn't recovered, absolutely still hasn't recovered, and yeah, so like but he says... too nervous, bro. But Barella needs to take a chill pill sometimes, I feel. Yeah, he's it, always completely flustered. He's always flustered. And and at a point, I remember looking, at, when I was watching his game, looking at the TV, Barella's screaming, Chalanoglu's flailing his arms around, and Inzaghi, Inzaghi, the, the, like, be cool, bro. Like, be cool. The guy is screaming, he has veins popping out, his <laughs> hair's a fucking mess. The guy doesn't give a shit what he looks like. When he's upset, he looks mental, bro. He looks mental. You know when you get really angry and like your teeth come out and your nose, 
you like your nose crunches up and you look ridiculous. That's in Zagi all the time, like. Plus, bro, he's like one of those slim guys at the Dublin train. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no matter no matter what he does, it's gonna be no there. Like does you can chew all the gummy ones. <laughs> but ah, uh, it, it 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 when Inter are faced with a tough situation when they're one down, down to ten men, they should use that anger to channel them and to use it as motivation but they just seem to get flustered man and it's kind of all over the place when they get to that level yes bro um for me demarco remains an amazing player mm-hmm. i'm really envious of inter that they have demarco thankfully milan have theo hernandez that i can you know that i uh, it's not too bad because it's theo yeah. but anyway um yes bro inter really 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 missed an opportunity over here to capitalize on milan's terrible form as they seem to dip back into a little bit of a spell themselves yeah they currently sit in fourth with 37 points while empoli have climbed to ninth with 25 points leapfrogging juventus before we move on i just want to highlight a few of the empoli players um satriano a couple of weeks ago, I said I'm not too sure what this guy is good at. What he is good at is being a very mature striker. Um, he's great with his back towards goal. He's great at holding up play. When Empoli were 1-0 up, he did a fantastic job at that. I have to give a shout-out as well to the goal scorer in Baldanzi. He came on and he was fucking magical and absolutely brilliant performance by him. And that, that, that just that back four, that back four of Empoli... Is so young and so talented. Ebuehi, De Winter, Luperto, and Parisi. That is a very, very, very good back four. And I'm super impressed by De Winter. I hadn't yeah. seen that much of him. He's 20 years old. He had a fantastic performance. And if they, bake, if they break through those, there's Vicario on goal. Plus, not to mention that in this game, Empoli, we're missing Marin. Yeah. Their metronome, their guy. And they started with Akpra, Akpro, Henderson, and Bandinelli in the midfield. And still, they were capable of doing that against Inter. It says a lot about Inter's performance, but it definitely says a lot about Empoli and the team that formed over here. Yes, bro. I really liked the way they attacked. I really liked the way Henderson moved into the channel. Caputo drifted out wide and Cambiaghi attacked from the right-hand side. It was amazing. They play some very good football. We've been raving about Zanetti since his um, Venezia days where he had the worst squad, but they were playing attractive football without the results. Thankfully, now he has found a team and a place where he can develop and, um, you know, play the football yeah. that he wants to play. Last year, my second favorite team in Serie A was Sassuolo when it came to play style. Um, the year before that, it was Hellas Verona. That, that was my favorite, my second favorite team in Serie A. This year, it's Empoli. Yeah. 100%. They're sick, bro. They play really well. Moving on to the next game, guys, it's Spezia nil, Roma 2. So Spezia lined up in a 3-4-2-1 with Dragovski in goal, a backline of Amian, Caldara and Hristov. Rek out on the left, home out on the right with Ampadu and Burabia in the midfield. Giasi and Verde on the left and right and Agudelo up front. For Roma, it was Rupetrish in goal with a backline of Mancini, Smalling and Ibanez. Celik out on the right, Zalewski out on the left, midfield two of Cristante and Matic, scary, with Dybala and El Sharawi behind Tammy Abraham. 
I don't mean scary in a talented sense, but I mean scary from a physical aspect. Because those two, like I would not want to step on their shoes at footloose, let's just put it that way. In the 45th minute, just as the first half was coming to an end, El Sharawi played Dybala through, who returned the favour by squaring the ball to the Egyptian, who finished into an empty net, making it 1-0. This is Dybala's world, and we're all just living in it. At the restart and then the 49th minute, Dybala once again um, assisted to Tammy Abraham. So Abraham received the ball from Dybala, but still had so much to do. He used his turn of pace very well, placed the ball between the legs of the last defender before finishing through the legs of Dragovski. What a goal by Tammy. My first question is, is he back? Yes, he is back. Um, slowly, slowly he started to build up his confidence. You know, his footwork has looked really tidy for a man who's six foot five. Um, he looks way more confident and way sharper in front of goal. The ball is sticking and they're linking up nicely. I do think that Tammy Abraham is back. Does Tammy owe this success to Dybala? Tammy owes this success to Serie A Spotlight for publicly humiliating him on TikTok <laughs> with, with a video that got 927,000 views <laughs> saying that if Tammy Abraham had shot John Lennon, John Lennon would have been 85 today. I can't believe that we have 99.9k likes on that video. We haven't hit a hundred, so we've hit a million views on one of our videos on Instagram of Kim Min Jae. Um, but we've never hit 100k likes. The most that we have on TikTok is this video with 99.9k. We need to do so. Yeah. Do us a favor, guys. <laughs> Head over to our TikTok and spam that like button. Send it to your friends. Send it to Tammy. Send it to anyone, you know, and help us get to 100k. Tammy was like, I don't even like the Beatles. <laughs> you know, and he starts fucking lifting weights, juggling close fucking you, you have to, You have to hand it to Tammy yeah. because you see so many Mourinho victims. They call them Mourinho victims, right? Yeah. That just don't manage to pick, to, to pick it up and, and they have their confidence bruised and their ego hurt by what Mourinho says about them to the public, what he says to them face to face, and they just fall off. For example, Casillas, yeah. and and the list goes on and on. Casillas might be one of the more vanilla examples I can give. Um, but Tammy, he, he was Luke Shaw, yeah. but he fucking he 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 did the same thing as as Tammy. They work their socks off, they get back, and they become great yeah. again. This is what Tammy is doing. That's what Luke Shaw did. And credit to Tammy, man. Credit to Tammy. Englishman in Syria, Mourinho giving him shit, talking about him to the public, and he just gets back and he's he's fucking ticking now, man. Yeah, and apparently they might be getting um, Riyad Mahrez. Roma might be getting... No, sorry, not Mahrez, it was Ziyech, Hakim Ziyech. Ziyech. They Ziyech. might be getting Ziyech, and that would be amazing for Roma. And wouldn't that be the most Milan thing, to buy Zaniolo for 25 million and to let Ziyech go for like 12 million to Roma? I mean, I wonder which I prefer. They're both very injury-prone. The yeah. difference is one is much younger than the other. Hey, I'll take Zaniolo, man, to be honest. I'm, I think I might prefer Ziyech here. Just because he's, you know... The Ziyech is saucier. He's he's so technically gifted. He'd be one of the one of the best players in the league. Technically. Yeah, he, he has like a Di Maria style of play, really close ball control, very skillful. His touch and his pass is ridiculous. Imagine the ball is over the top to Leao on the other side. <laughs> but um, yes, bro, Roma, once again, a very mature display over here, destroying Spezia. Spezia are not having a fun time, especially at the back. Uh, 
because they have just sold Kiwior, the Polish international, for twenty one million pounds to Arsenal. Say so losing another gem along with another one to add to the cemetery, quite frankly, of Papu Gomez, Rodrigo de Paul, Seco Fofana, Aaron Hickey, Tommy So these guys were all poached for relatively cheap and they were yeah. very good in Syria. Um and during this game, Christoph went down injured as well. So they've just lost two centre-backs. And for a team that plays with three at the back, that's going to be very tough for them going forward. Um, solutions are definitely going to be necessary. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this last time as well. Spezia do look very improved. They look like a unit. We called them a pack of wolves and we started howling in the last episode. They still are exactly that. It's just they have a tough couple of fixtures now. So obviously they just played Atalanta in the Coppa. And now they played Roma, now they have to play Bologna and then Napoli. And then after Empoli, they have Juve and then they have Udinese. So obviously quite a tough time for Spezia. And with all those injuries, it's going to be very, very difficult to see them make make it out of there alive. And with, you know, Verona winning all these matches with Sampdoria, finding some form again, it's very, very interesting to see what can happen over here. We're starting to see... Verona bridged the gap between Sassuolo, Salernitana and Spezia more and more as time goes on, man. So that relegation battle is about to get juicy. Juicy, it's true, bro. They did miss in Zola this game as well. Oh, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. It has to be said. They currently sit, Spezia, in 15th with 18 points, while Roma are in 5th with 37 points as they continue their great start to 2023. Shout out to Cesco. Respect, Cesc. The next game we're going to be covering is Sampdoria nil Udinese 1. Sampdoria lined up with their 3-4-1-2 formation with Emil Laudero in goal, Bram Nuitink, Omar Colli and Amione at the back. I don't know Amione's first name. Augello was on the left, Leris was on the right, Njuricic and Winks were in the middle with Sabiri in the Jacquartista road, Lammers and Gabbiadini up front. Udinese played a 3-5-2 formation with Silvestri in goal, Becao, Bijol and Perez at the back. Ezibwe... Ez... You can do it, Ez... you can do it. Ezibwe on the right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Udoji on the left, Arslan, Wallace and Samardzic in the middle with Beto and Isaac Success up front. Wait till you see who scored, bro. I know, bro. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So in the ninth minute, Juricic skimmed the post clean through on goal. So unlucky for him. In the 60th minute, Ronaldo Vieira didn't play like Ronaldo. He didn't play like Vieira. He skied a great opportunity with the ball on the bounce. Totally unmarked just in front of the keeper. It has to be highlighted that this guy has been one of the reasons that Sampdoria haven't been getting any yeah. points because he has been terrible. Yeah. yeah, terrible. He's been really bad, poor guy. In the 88th minute, the winner came for Udinese through Azibui. It was scrappy, but Azibui turned the ball in after Sampdoria's defense failed to deal with a Wallace lobbed pass. This was Azibui's first goal in Serie A. Congratulations, Azibui. Yes, congratulations. Um, Sampdoria, I like the way they've been playing. I like them under Stankovic. I like the way they've been playing. They're looking much much better than they were. They looked disastrous. But now they have a bit of identity. They have a bit of groove. I really like the signings they made. I'm just going to say that again. And at least now Stankovic has a more curated squad to deal with. A squad that is more to his likings. We also saw Harry Winks coming back into the team and playing a little bit. So 
Stankovic has something to work with. Now they're still not in a great position. They still need to pick up points and they have to start doing it now, but it's looking way more promising than it was before. Yeah, it is. And ironically enough, they've never been this close to last place. Um, they're on nine points. Cremonese are on eight points and last. Hmm. Um, to escape the relegation pool, they would have to jump Sassuolo, who are on 17 points. Not impossible, but definitely going to be a tough ask for Stankovic and his men. Um, but as you said, many pros about this team. They are playing fluid football and they are unlucky not to get a point over here. Um, Can I just say, they play Atalanta next, they play Monza after that, they play Inter after that, they play Bologna after that, they play Lazio after that. Then after they play Salernitana, they play Juve. Then after they play Verona, they play Roma. So they don't, it doesn't look like they're going to be racking up points anytime soon. They'll have to get a couple of upsets to do that. But you know, they might play up to the occasion, you know, play yeah. on the counter or something. But <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely see. They dominated this game huh, when it comes to possession. They had 54% possession against Sudanese. Granted, Sudanese had, um, they outshot them, you know, um, 14 shots to nine. Udinese had five shots on target. Sampdoria only had one on target. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Earlier this season, Udinese were killing everyone in front of them, right? We highlighted their unity, their humility, their relentlessness, and their main strengths. That didn't last very long as the results seemed to stop going their way, and players seemed to start and get they seemed to start getting frustrated. No, a lot of flailing around. We often speak about this. Their best players um, not being team players quite frankly mm. and now it seems that Deo Lefeu has been transfer listed um, or is being sold rather I don't know if that's still the case as he was brought on towards the end of this game and Went was substituted because he was injured yes, they, they, typically when a player is um, being rumoured to move teams don't play him to protect him so he doesn't fall injured so they brought him on in the last 15 minutes to, prove it, to avoid a potential injury and he <laughs> still managed mm-hmm. to get injured somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, they also sold a leader in Bram Nuitink. I'm sure he's a figure yeah. that he wouldn't want to lose yeah. in the locker room. Played against them in this match with Sampdoria. And Pereira didn't even play this game. Where's, no. he been? Where's he been? But it's good to see that they managed to get a victory without three main guys. Yeah, I mean, it had, it had been a while since their last victory. Um, let me just see when that was because it feels like it has been ages like they they had been on 25 points for a while so they had lost to Bologna they had lost to Juventus they drew to Empoli last time they won was on the 29th of December away to Cremonese holy quacker dog yeah so <laughs> in the new year they hadn't gotten three points yet so this is the first three points they play Verona next Torino after that Sassuolo after that so hopefully they can start picking up the momentum again Yes, they currently sit in a conference league spot, Audinese, so they're still not doing too badly. Like European football is still on the cards for them. Um, 28 points in seventh, while Sampdoria are still struggling, 19th place with nine points. The next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina nil, Torino 1. It was Torino's first win ever at the Stadio Artemio Franchi. So Fiorentina lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with Terracciano on goal, Biraghi on the left, Venuti on the right with Milenkovic and Igor as the two centre-backs, Duncan and Amrabat in the double pivot with Saponara out wide, and Saponara the corner out wide, rather Bonaventura and the Czech Artista role with Kwame up front. 
For Torino, it was a 3-4-1 formation with Van Yangola, backline of Gigi Bongiorno and Rodriguez. Singo on the right, Voivoda on the left, Ricci and Adopo in the midfield. Sec up front being flanked by Miranchuk and Vlasic. So in the 21st minute, Sec smashed the crossbar from a tough angle, hit it really well to even get the shot away as he was surrounded in purple shirts. It's quite refreshing seeing such an active striker like that playing for Torino. And he's a right winger. He's a right he's winger. He's a makeshift striker for them. And he did really well this game. He had a good game. He had a good game. It's interesting to see if he'll start getting goals now. In the 29th minute, there was a brilliant save by Vanya on Kwame at the near post. The keeper got down so well to deny Kwame on the half volley. In the 33rd minute, Torino managed to make it 1-0 through Miranchuk who curled the ball into the far net from just inside the area. It was found very cleverly by Voivoda, but both players were given way too much space by Fiorentina. Yeah. And it was Amrabat who played a long ball that was intercepted by Voivoda. Um, a very, very, very rare mistake by Amrabat, who had a bit of a shocker this game. Yeah, correct. In the 89th minute, with Vanya grounded after the nine Kwame, Jovic had to finish the ball into an empty net, but Zima produced a heroic toe-poke challenge to deny him the opportunity. Brilliant and resilient defending by the Czech. The game would have gone totally differently if it weren't for him in that situation. And then in the 91st minute, Vanya denied Barak with a leg save in the final moments of the match with another spectacular save by him. Torino fought hard to maintain this 1-0 victory. Did they deserve it, bro? Did they deserve it? Um, yes, I would say they did deserve it. Um, Fiorentina were unlucky not to get a point from this. Um, if those, if that Barak opportunity had gone in, you know, um, it would have been a completely different story. And they did concede because of an individual mistake at the end of the day. But yes, I feel like many of Fiorentina's players didn't show up, whereas yeah. Torino played as a solid unit. They were compact. They suffered well together as a team. They took their chances, they created, you know, they had a makeshift striker who looked really good over there. Um, and I, I think they, they got the job done very maturely. Because if you look at this this Fiorentina team, the the standout terrible performers for me were Ikona and Saponara were both ass. Yeah. Every, anytime Ikona was noticeable in this game, he was doing something wrong. And True. Saponara was a little bit flustered as well. He wasn't his usual self. Um, Amrabat... When things aren't ticking for Amrabat, things aren't ticking for Fiorentina. It's as simple as that. And yeah. Milinkovic is always a step behind everyone nowadays. Yeah, M- Milinkovic, to be honest, his, his decline has been very, very prominent. Mm. He was such a good defender for so many years, being linked with Inter, Juve, Milan, Roma, the lot. Um, but ever since then, well, he, had a, he had a shocking World Cup and he's having a, a shocking season this year as well. I would agree with you. I would say that despite the stats... Torino did deserve to get away with the victory because they had the more mature display. Mm-hmm. They weren't rushing play, but they were choosing their opportunities. And when they were choosing their opportunities, they attacked pretty well. Now, Fiorentina had 62% ball possession. They had 19 shots and five of them were on target. But you can't look at the hustle that Torino went through and say that they didn't deserve the three points over there. Maybe a draw would have been a more accurate um, result for the performances that went in but to me Torino should be happy with the three points and I think they're well deserved the man I felt very bad for on this Fiorentina team was um, Jacob Bonaventura who looked to do his absolute best to inspire his teammates 
he had a nosebleed <laughs> what felt like the entirety of the first half and he just kept fucking coming undone and blood was everywhere it was really messy like and he would he was shouting at the opposition shouting at his teammates screaming in the referee's face just trying to rile a few of his teammates up but they seemed to be indifferent now bro i don't think that this is a tactical issue that Fiorentina have i wouldn't blame italiano for these results and for the under achieving because Italiano is creating an environment where these players are put in positions where they can score mm. it isn't his fault however it is his job to motivate this group of players mm-hmm. he has a deep relatively deep squad um, apart from the defense maybe mm-hmm. and I feel like you know he needs to get them going you can't have the likes of Jovic not performing for example you have to do something about that you, you can't have Amrabat dropping a game like this you know a, a guy who's rated so highly right now you have to keep him make sure he plays well you know so if you sell him at least you get the 50 million you know? ah, exactly exactly yeah it it just feels like when I watch Fiorentina this season it's like 11 superstars that have never played together before <laughs> that's the way I see it to be honest even you know they have such a wide variety of players but it seems like they haven't recovered since losing Vlahovic. And they replaced him with Luka Jovic, um, who on paper is a great signing for them. But he still hasn't picked it up. And if they don't have the finishing touch, then they don't have anything. Then what, what the hell are they playing for? It's obviously not all down to him. The chemistry of the team seems a little bit off. The creativity of the team seems a little bit off. It's not even. It's the execution. It's the final bit, especially because Jovic and... Barak both had opportunities this game to to get something mm. out of it, and they both fumbled it. You know, granted, Vanya is uh, a god, a god. He's the the character from the Barbarian that lives in the basement. He's, <laughs> he's a beast, dude. He's a beast. He's a monster. Really. He's a monster. But yeah, um, not Fiorentina's day. Perhaps not Fiorentina's season either, as they currently sit in eleventh, twenty three points, while Torino sit in eighth with twenty six points. Correct. The next game we're going to be covering is Bologna 1, Cremonese 1. Um, Cremonese had just come off. We, we haven't even spoken about this yet, bro. The penalty with victory. Oh the victory God. penalties against Napoli. Cremonese knocked Napoli out of the Coppa Italia, which is um, a very frightening thing for Inter Milan fans who are still hoping. Um, for a, a league fight, you know, because mm. at the end of the day, there's one less competition for Napoli to, if, to play it. If we're counting Inter and Milan, we can count Roma, yeah, we can Inter, count Lazio, Roma, we can Lazio, count Atalanta. Roma. Everyone's in for the title race yeah, now, guys. Everyone, everyone. But yes, um, Cremonese under Ballardini played a very mature game against Napoli, who perhaps underestimated their opponent. Of course, that's the thing with the Coppa Italia, right? The big teams rest players, the small teams come with their big names. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli brought on their best players towards the end to try to get it, but Cremonese remained compact. They have three veteran defenders at the back over there, and they have a coach who is amazing at defensive tactics. You know, yeah. Ballardini, when it comes to setting up a 3-5-2 block, Five at mm. the back when defending, you know, the midfield comes in deep. Mm. He's a god at that ball. He's, he's very well suited for this Cremonese team because what they needed is a little bit more stability to go with their to go with their performances, keep their shape because they often get caught on the counter-attack. I think he'll be a good fit for them. 
Yeah, and in fact, this game, they lined up with a 3-5-2 formation with the three um, veterans at the back. They had Karnasecki in goal, of course, amazing goalkeeper. Ferrari, Kirikas, and Vasquez. Now, these guys have been around the block. You know, we have Ferrari, ex Sampdoria, Kirikas, ex Sassuolo, Vasquez, ex Genoa. These guys mm. all have Serie A experience. You know, ball, bro. Thanks, bro. You have Sir Nicola on the right, Valeri on the left. Valeri scored the winning penalty against Napoli and demonstrated his high levels of testosterone. <laughs> Mede, Castagnetti and Piquel were in the middle. Okereke and Trofani played up front. For Bologna, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Skorupski in goal. Nico Giannis at left-back, Posh at right-back, Lukumi and Sao Mauro as the centre-back duo. Dominguez, Moro and Ferguson in the middle with Barrow on the left, Orsolini on the right and Sat. Satriano, no, Soriano up front. Soriano, <laughs> yes, of course. Um, with Arnautovic still injured. Now, what happened in the 48 minute <laughs> far quarter? Silly handball by Dominguez. Uh, it really was a silly handball. Yeah. Now, how many of these silly handballs do I have to see in Serie A? All these penalties being given away by silly handballs. He looked like he was creeping away with his arms here in a T-Rex position. <laughs> And um, <laughs> the ball struck his hand. What was that? You remember that that video of the, the Lonely Island of Do the Creep? Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> it <looks> like that. <laughs> when you out <laughs> the oh, yeah. and you see a flag, girl, do the creep. Oh. But yes, um, it was a silly handball by Dominguez, and the penalty was awarded to Cremonese, and it was converted by Okereke, who went down the middle. And didn't do his chin celebration, by the way. He didn't do the finger wag. Super. He just did a strange dance with his teammates around him. Super disappointing, but it's good to see the whole Cremonese team getting involved in a little bit of a dance. They won't be doing much of it this season, so good to see them get the opportunity there. Fucking right. And the 54th minute, um, classic Vlad Kirikas over here. Now, you know, um, those of you who have been listening since season one know that I'm not a big fan of Vladimir Kirikas, despite his veteran status. He scored an own goal in the 54th minute as Karnasek, produced a brilliant save, but the ball was left in play. Ferrari tried to clear it, but only managed to hit the ball into Kirikas, and it deflected into his own net. Uh, unlucky, but comical. Yeah, com- com- comical to say the least. Those two ha- have notoriously aged Badly, yeah. Ferrari and and Vlad Kirikas, but but yeah, well, what could you do about that? It's it's very very unlucky. Yes, um, guys, do not confuse Ferrari with uh, Sassuolo's Ferrari. Of course, this is a different Ferrari ex um, Sampdoria. They should both be called Fiat at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. But yes, bro, um, in the 88th minute, there was a brilliant save by Karnasecki yet again, but the ball... <laughs> Say it. But the ball once again hit the fucking fridge that is Vlad Vichad Kirikas. But this time, Ferrari managed to clear it off the line. Now, this ball was rolling into the net. And you can see from Kirika's face, he was like, oh my God, another one. <laughs> you, could, you could see his expression. You could see this disappointment taking over him completely as he was about to score his second own goal uh, to give Cremonese zero points. But thankfully, it was cleared off the line by Ferrari and Cremonese get away with one point and they age closer to Sampdoria in 19. All Kirikas needs to do to avoid these two situations that led to the own goal, obviously they're not easy. I'm going to stand here and say that I wouldn't have scored own goals over there. I probably would have scored three own goals in this match. But be on your toes and be ready for the ball coming to you at any moment. 
that's what you have to do. The fact that the ball is capable of just hitting him and going goalwards when he's in the box as the last defender is very, very dangerous for Cremonese, man. It really is, bro. It really is. Um, they've got a few error-prone players at the back and mistakes have not been rare. Now, when it comes to Bologna, our friend Luca, who supports Bologna, is quite disappointed. He sent us a question and said the following. One second. Fan point of view. Bologna got three points in three home games with the last three teams in the table. Lost against Empoli at home, drew against Salernitana, and we are still only five points away from seventh place. Can you understand the frustration? Yes. If they had racked up a few more points, their position in the table would actually be quite impressive. And, you know, then that have a shot at maybe these European places in theory. Yeah, but I, I mean, it, it's it's foot, football, and particularly Serie A, is very unpredictable. You can go on a run beating the top teams, and then you can go on a run losing and drawing to smaller teams. That's what Bologna are going through. I think it shows what a difference maker Arnautovic is because since they've lost Arnautovic they've been on a um, on a bit of a dry spell it's not only the fact that he can score goals but it's his leadership Zlatan-esque mentality that he brings to the team and everyone plays to get the ball to Arnautovic it's very different having him up front to having Soriano up front and I think that is a, a massive component as to why they're struggling right now. Definitely, bro. The thing I wonder is, without Mihailovic there, the very popular, loved character that was Sinisa Mihailovic, do Bologna still have the pull power? Do they still attract certain players? Not as much as they used to, I think. Um, however, I feel like Motta has quite a pull as well. Because, especially for young players that want to grow in Serie A, they must idolize Motta, mm-hmm. someone that learned from Jose Mourinho, someone that was part of the treble winning team, someone that is trying to re-identify the game of football. Because like back in his youth PSG days, he was notorious for trying out some absurd formations and swapping player positions and swapping player roles. And to me, this is the start of Motta's career as a manager. I think he's up for bigger and better things than Bologna, unfortunately. But I think that does bring a bit of pull power. Yeah, um, it, it must. And as it stands right now, you know, as you said, it's a young team playing attractive football and getting some impressive results here and there. So, yeah, maybe we will see a few big players joining. Or if not, maybe can develop some of the guys that are already there. They have some promising talents over there. Exactly. Um, man, Afena John almost gave them the lead. He did. When he came on. Had he come on, maybe... If the chance came a little bit later, he might have been able to take it. But I think he had just come on and he panicked. Yeah. You know? Doesn't have that Baldanzi DNA, you know. No, and, and he hasn't been getting as many minutes as perhaps he would have liked. And, and as many minutes as we would have expected. Because last season, this guy was Mourinho's golden boy down the left flank. Bringing him on, he's scoring braces, he's doing this, he's doing that. Um, he moves to Cremonese permanently and you would think that he'd be one of their star players but he's coming on basically he's a he's a rotation player he's a substitute player um i think if they show a bit more faith in him and put him in the starting 11 more they'll start seeing a sharper version of, of afenajan and i think it would be a a long-term investment for them yes bro i agree um the thing is i think they prefer 
so so they have Shofani, who's kind of a physical striker, mm-hmm. and they have Okereke, who is the more mobile of the two. So I think they view Afenadjan as kind of a vice Okereke as it stands. But, and I much prefer that than playing him on the wing out of possession, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right over there. Um, this was the first meeting between Bologna and Cremonese since 1989. The game back then ended in a 2-1 victory for Cremonese. Oh, how time flies, huh? How time flies, bro. I was merely a sperm in my dad's ball sack back then. <laughs> so Cremonese are currently lost with 8 points, eight points, sorry, while Bologna are in 12th with 23 points. The next game we're going to be covering is the 1-1 draw between Monza and Sassuolo. Monza lined up in a 3-4-1 formation, very popular formation nowadays, by the way. Um, they had Di Gregorio on goal and the backline of the fantastic Itzo, Caldirola and Santos. They had Carlos Augusto out on the left and Berendelli out on the right with a double pivot of Pessina and Machin. Uh, Caprari out on the left, Churi out on the right with Petania up front. Sassuolo still have the 41-year-old Pegolo in goal with Tolian, Erlich, Ferrari and Rogeria at the back, double pivot of Fratesi and Obiang, Berardi out on the right, Laurient out on the left, Traore down the middle and Defrel up front. It was very interesting to see Fratesi kissing the badge, the Sassuolo badge in front of their three fans at the start of the game. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder what that means, if it's a goodbye or if it's a I'm here to stay, I love the club. So in the 13th minute, Ferrari scored. Wow. Who would have thought, huh? Who would have thought, bro, honestly. It was a low corner by Traore. Um, and it was Ronaldo flicked by Fratesi and into the path of Ferrari, who finished 12. If you guys aren't exactly aware of what a Ronaldo flick is, it's when a player seems to get a touch on the ball but doesn't, but he might just claim it. And that's exactly what happened over there. So I thought it was an assist for Fratesi, but it was in fact a Traore assist. Moments later, Lauriente smashed the woodwork after some good work by Berardi, but then in the 59th minutes, the inevitable Caprari scored, the Italian curled the ball in off the post from a tight angle. It was a fantastic goal, to be honest. That's a fucking shout as well for a goal of the week, man. It is, it is. That was a great goal by Caprari. I feel like every goal Caprari scores is a shout for a goal of the week. Yeah, he's really good, man. He's a really good gem for these for these teams that are just above the relegation pool. Like Caprari is a really good player for them. 100%. In the 75th minute, Pegolo saved Kitkir's shot and the rebound fell to Mota, who had an open net but failed to make any significant contact on the ball and it was a very embarrassing miss. Oh. He hit it like too much with the outstep. <laughs> so, so it just ended up going straight up, right? Straight up. <laughs> It was really just, oh, I, I felt bad for him. It was so embarrassing. Then the closing moments of the match, Berardi had a good opportunity to get a rare win for his side, but struck the ball just wide much to Monza's pleasure. So Monza had 61% ball possession to Sassuolo's 39%. The shots were quite even. Monza had 14, Sassuolo had 13. Monza had three on target, Sassuolo had one. I think a draw was quite a fair result over here. What do you think? I wouldn't go as far as saying that Monza probably deserved to win it. Um, Sassuolo got an early lead and didn't really do anything about it. While Monza, you know, you see Paladino over here, he tried about three different formations before they eventually got the equalizer, including a triple whammy where he took out some veteran players over there early on in the second half. Mm. Um, these veteran players included, you know, he took out Mari, he took out, no, sorry, he took out Marlon, Petania, and Birindelli. 
for Kolpani, Mari, and Danny Mota. And this was all to change formation to try to adapt to Sassuolo's system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked, you know, it worked. They managed to get their goal. Um, I, do, I do think that Monza deserved maybe a victory over him. Interesting, because I think that Sassuolo's chances were a bit more clear-cut than Monza's. Um, Berardi had a couple of opportunities. Lauriente hit the post as well with, with, yeah. with uh, quite an opportunity. But obviously, if you don't take those chances, then you're not going to get the victory. And I think that's a testament to, to both teams. And to be honest, that draw might have been a, a fair result over here. Couple of players to highlight in this performance. I would say that Itzo at the moment is proving to be one of the best defenders in the league at the moment. He deserves a national team call up if, if he keeps this up. Honestly, like he was good at Torino, mm-hmm. but with Monza right now, as it stands, he doesn't put a foot wrong. And you know they play him, they play him the ball in a tight space, like, and he'll just like back heel it, like to to the winger, you know, yes. just casually, comfortably. He's so good with the ball on his feet as well. Uh-huh. Hasn't put a foot wrong in a while. It's always with. Agreed. Petania. So d- despite not scoring and, and not being incredibly sharp in front of goal, having Caprari and Churia behind him and him playing with his back towards goal really shows Petania's strong point, which is playing with his back towards goal, laying the ball off, flicking the ball through to someone making the run. And I think when we see Sensi on the pitch a little bit more. And when we see Pessina maybe moving forward a little bit more, that's when we'll see Patania at full flow. He's been playing spec- spectacularly. He's been playing better than very well. he was. Yes, a very mature striker. He's developing very well, Patania. Um, nowadays, he is 27 years old, Patania. I remember him as a youth product for Milan. I remember Milan bringing in Matri and shipping him out and him being in tears. And he yeah. had that season at um, Atalanta where he did really well with Papu Gomez back then. Um, he moved to Napoli where he didn't really hit the ground running at all scored a few goals Paletti decided to keep him off that particularly important one yeah. but I think this is his level I think he should have stayed at this level for a little while um, in order to develop but you know 27 years old for a striker of his um, size and style mm. he could still have another 7 years left 100% that's yeah. the point I was going to make is he might just be one of those strikers that peaks with maturity so the second he gets more experience in front of goal and finishing off chances and being at, in the right place at the right time, with, with his assets not being his pace and his speed and his acceleration, so on and so forth, he might just find himself getting better with age. We, we might see him peaking at 32, 33 years old. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the case. For Sassuolo, usual suspects, Fratesi, had another great performance. Obiang, Obiang is back and playing very well. Yeah, he had he had a good performance over there as well. And let's just say that Sassuolo's defense looked a bit better than it usually does in this game against a Monza team who have been spectacular going forward. So credit where it's due, their backline was much better than usual. So Sassuolo sit in 17th place on 17 points, whilst Monza sit in 13th. Well, Smolza sit in 13th place on 22 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Verona 2, Lecce nil. Verona lined up with their 3-4-2-1 formation with Montepo and Gold, Cecherini at the back with Hien and Davidovic, Doig on the left, De Paoli on the right with Tameze and Illich in the middle. Lazovic and Lasagna played off the shoulders, the very broad shoulders of Ivan Juric. <laughs> 
Falcone was in goal for Lecce as they played a 4-3-3 formation. Jean-Dre on the right, Gallo on the left with Umtiti and Baschirotto at the back. Blin, Hulmond and Gonzalez were in the middle with Strefezza on the right, Di Francesco on the left and Colombo up front. In the 40th minute, a brilliant cross by Doig from out wide fell perfectly to the unmarked De Pauli, who made no mistake scoring a fantastic header. Yep. In the 52nd minute, Illich hit the crossbar with a long-range strike before booking a short-range flight to Marseille. <laughs> uh, now, this is the thing. He might be off to Marseille, everything is agreed, at the end of the season, and he, might, he would, in that case, remain at Verona until the end of the season. But... Torino have stepped in and are trying to hijack the deal. So we might still see Illich in Serie A. Also, Arsenal as well are, are interested. Yeah. Okay. But, um, okay. In the 54th minute, there was a gorgeous turn and pass by Illich to spot Lazovic, who still had a lot of work to do, but finished into the near corner. So Illich had a fantastic game, as uh, Matthias a couple of weeks ago declared it to be mm-hmm. Illich watch. Yeah. You know? And now he's off. You know, that, that's just the nature of. Of players who play with these teams. I mean, Matthias couldn't have been more bang on, right? He said he's going to find his form and a lot of teams are going to be interested in him. So he really hit the nail on the head over there. And it was just a spectacular performance by Illich, who was always available to his teammates around him. Very, very active over there. Had a crack at goal when he could. Brilliant assist for Lazovic's goal as well. Shout out to Lazovic as well, man. He's really found his feet again. He really has. And playing closer to goal was the key, apparently. Yeah. Um, Lecce this game dominated possession and they looked more dangerous for most of the game and I was watching it was all Lecce in fact um, mm. but Verona once again stayed compact and they managed to get goals through individual moments of brilliance that Doig cross was amazing and that Illich manoeuvre was brilliant too yeah Verona have pretty much been that kind of side ever since they appointed Zaffaroni the Monza legend so to say they have been very more much more mature in their approach and a little bit more pragmatic um, and yet it, it's looking good for Verona their upcoming fixtures is what I'm interested in so I'm going to look them up right now in fact their next game is on a Monday night against Udinese away from home they then have Lazio at home then Salernitana Roma Fiorentina Spezia there are no easy fixtures if Verona are going to want to turn it around they're going to need to keep doing exactly what they're doing but they're onto something here, man. They're definitely onto something. They definitely are, bro. Um, two ex-defenders in Bocchetti and Zaffaroni um, really tidying things up at the back for Verona um, and giving them a new lease of life. Yeah, and obviously they didn't exactly face an easy side in Lecce, no, the team that, that gave that gave Milan a fucking run for their money as well, 2-2. And they seen early on, Lecce were opening up Verona, similarly to how they were opening up Milan, but then something changed. I feel like the, the, they got the midfield to drop deeper, Verona, and they adapted mm. to, to Lecce's play style, and they, they beat them, to be honest, with experience, quite frankly. Yeah, pretty much, man, pretty much. They currently, so they... I always say they. Who the fuck is they? <laughs> Verona currently sit in 18th with 12 points, while Lecce sit in 14th with 20. Coppa Italia roundup. <laughs> so Inter are playing against Atalanta in the quarterfinals after Inter knocked out Parma and Atalanta knocked out Spezia. Lazio knocked out Bologna and Juve knocked out Monza and they're facing each other. Um, Napoli got knocked out by Cremonese who will face Roma who knocked out 
Genoa. Fiorentina are playing against Torino as they knocked out Sampdoria and Milan, respectively. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Who wins the Coppa Italia this year, bro? Yeah, let's make a prediction. Who wins the Coppa Italia? I get a feeling it will be Juve that win the Coppa Italia. Interesting. I am going to say Atalanta won the Coppa Italia. Ooh, shall we put something dirty on the line for that? Oh my God, here we go. We'll, let, we'll, we'll discuss it and we'll get back to the audience. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, there are, however, other interesting things we could put something on the line for. There are indeed. Um, and we should probably start thinking about this weekend's bet, Ambro. We should. So the biggest game this weekend is Napoli at home against Roma. That is, can't like cancel That's, your plans. We're not touching that. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We don't know if it's going to be low scoring, high scoring. There's lots of Fiorentina. That's crazy as well. No, like right before it. Mm, mm. Oh my God. Look at this day. Look at, look at our Sunday, bro. Milan's a swall at 12.30. That has the potential to ruin our whole day. Literally. <laughs> Juve Monza at 3 o'clock. 6 o'clock Lazio Fiorentina. 8.45 Napoli Roma. And that's, that's good. Eh? Don't we have the Dan Hood podcast on Sunday? Oh, uh, we're going we're gonna to arrange that. No worries. We're going to Saturday maybe. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what we could do about that. Um, but yeah, we have an exciting week of football. I'm personally leaning towards betting on like Atalanta-Sampdoria. Maybe the odds will be decent for an Atalanta win since mm-hmm. Sampdoria have been a bit better. And maybe since Milan have been shit. And we... Sassu... No way. No, no, we don't touch Milan anymore. Um, I have a feeling that's why Milan suck because we're better. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But then as a Verona, Verona win or draw is quite interesting. It is. It is. That's a good one. Um, or Verona win or draw. That's, that's what I said. Yeah. Oh, that's what I, said. No, that's what I think will go down. I think, I think Verona have the edge. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll see. Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. Drop us a follow at, say, a spotlight on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Um, reach out to us. Send us a voice note. We might even feature you um, if you have a good opinion or a hot take. Um, like our Tammy video. <laughs> Don't bother with the Tammy video, guys. It's a hassle. No, please like the Tammy video. 100k, baby. Woo! Thank you very much, guys. We love you all and have a good rest of your week.